This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey friends, and welcome to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica Anderson. I'm a Christian freelance writer, mom of two littles, and I'm passionate about helping you live out your best and deepest faith in everyday life. On this podcast, you'll hear from inspiring women, moms, and ministry leaders, authors, and more. Those on mission for God with a message to inspire you in your Christian walk, wherever that may be. Each month, I send out interviews, tips, book reviews, and exclusive giveaways to my email list. If you'd like to receive these things, just head to my website, ericaanderson.com, and sign up. My new book about women in faith is coming out this summer, and I want you to be the first to get all the details about it. Enjoy the show. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica, and today I'm talking to Michaela Albertson. Michaela, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Erica. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited for your upcoming book. I know you're getting ready to get into all the book launch mode and all of that. So I get to talk to you before all the craziness. But tell us a little bit about who you are and about yourself, and then we'll jump into some questions. Sure. So I'm Michaela. I'm uh, married 20 years to my high school sweetheart. We are together raising five children. Our oldest will be 17 next month. And then I have a five-year-old and I am a mostly stay-at-home family practice doctor. I work a couple shifts a month now just to kind of keep my credentialing um, so that if I do want to go back a little bit more, I can down the road. And I live a really ordinary life. Yes, as your Instagram handle and your book, Ordinary on Purpose, which I think is probably appealing to a lot of people because um, there's a lot of pressure to be a lot of things and do all the things. And um, I think people might breathe a sigh of relief to see, oh, okay, this is this is more my speed. So I think that resonates. Um, so I'm always, you know, I'm fascinated by the fact that you're a family doctor. That's really cool. Did you practice before you had kids? I, so I had my first baby when I started my first year of residency. So I had two kids during residency, which I write a little bit about in the book because that was part of the, part of the chaos, I think. Um, So yeah, I had two children in residency. And then when I came out, I started my first job working three days a week, um, which was nice. And then we've since had three more children and I've just gone a little bit down working uh, through that. So when we had our fifth baby, then I went to what's called PRN or as needed. Um, and that's been a really good fit for, for us. So, uh, What made you want to be a doctor? <clears throat> well, I, I really love people. I really love children. And so I went with the intention of being a pediatrician and then I just sort of found myself in family medicine instead. Um, but honestly, when I decided to do that. I was probably 16 or 17. And I don't know if I knew what I was even getting into. I just thought it sounded really great, you know? (laughs) And so I do, I do really love it. I love people and I love stories. I love people's stories and being a family physician really lets me be a part of their story and kind of hear all these um, amazing stories and really sit with people during hard times. So 
been a good fit for me. Wow. Um, so I have to ask, so you were doing residency and I, I promise I won't stay on this for too long, <laughs> but I'm fascinated. So um, how was that managing two little kids and doing residency? Because I, I hear residency is, is pretty tough, pretty challenging on your schedule. Uh, it was. I think we, I wanted to be a mom so badly and I wanted a family and I sort of wanted everything all at the same time. Uh, and I don't think that was a really well thought out plan, but I sort of managed. It was really, really tough. We um, to have two little kids during that time. You work somewhere around eighty hours a week. That's pretty standard. And so I would do overnight call shifts every third or fourth day. And so when I'd come home from that, rather than sleep, I always just took that as my day off. And then we'd go to the zoo or something. And so I think I was just really chronically sleep deprived. Yes. And luckily I was much younger, you know, I was early to mid twenties. And so I could sort of do that. I think now there'd be no possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine. Well, um, tell us a little bit about your book that's coming out about you know, how you decided to write it and what it's about. So it's called Ordinary on Purpose. And I sort of alluded to it already. Um, But I really used to think I wanted a perfect life. I thought that I needed a perfect life. I thought that's what we were supposed to be doing down here, right? Was trying to have the most perfect life possible. So I wanted the marriage and I wanted the family and I wanted the career and the house and the vacations and all of it. And I really thought that I was in control of that, that I could have that just by the choices that I made and maybe how hard I worked. And so I spent a lot of years really striving and trying to arrange all those pieces perfectly. And somewhere in the middle of all that striving, uh, my marriage broke under the weight of my husband's drug addiction. And I started drowning in my work as a family practice doctor and in motherhood and in life. And I just, it all fell apart. And I sort of had to give up. I had to surrender that chase for perfect. And I sort of realized that I'd been chasing the wrong thing all along. And like what I really wanted was a regular, ordinary life. I wanted real. I wanted uh, a sober husband and a house full of kids and just a regular house on a regular street. And I wanted Saturdays at Home Depot. And, you know, I just wanted regular. I wanted to appreciate this regular life I've been given. So yeah. during that time, that, that sort of all came to a head at the same time, the residency, the two young children, my husband's drug use. And um, I really think that's when God stepped in, when I finally took my hands off and was like, I, I give up. I can't do perfect. I can't do what I'm chasing here. And um, that's sort of when things began to change a little bit for me. And I, I really do live a really boring, really just deliciously ordinary life now. Yeah. So I, I was really struck by the, you know, you talk about your, dr- your husband having a drug problem. And so that's really not something you can control and something that, you know, an individual has to do that themselves. And so I'm curious how you worked through that, you know, sort of being there, I'm sure hopeful that he would overcome, but not being able to, to actually make that happen. What was that like? Well, I, I tried really hard. 
I tried really hard to control it for years. You know, I, I thought surely I should be able to do something here. And maybe if I got all the other pieces lined up, then it wouldn't be so hard for him and he could get it figured out. So I kept a tight grip on that for years and years and years. And I talk about that in the book too, where I finally had this realization that he was probably going to die. And I, there was nothing I was going to do about it. And so I really did have this hands-off moment. I, there's a chapter in my book about the moment when I thought, all right, if he's going to die, then he's going to die. Or if we're going to be not a married couple anymore, that's fine. But God, can you just, can you handle that, please? I'm done. I can't do anymore. And so um, I don't think I handled it well um, at all. It would be hard to handle yeah. anyway at all. Yeah. But I do think that's really where I found, you know, everybody has that story. I, I think we sometimes find our spiritual connection with God through really, really hard times. And I think that was the same for both my husband and I, and then somehow we were able to sort of begin again. Hmm. So not to get too much into his story, but it sounds Mm -hmm. like he was able to overcome that. Yeah. He is 13 years clean and sober. He was in and out of rehab a couple of times. And um, it was sort of in my surrender time that we, we lived separated for six months. He lived in a, um, in a sober living situation for six months. And I think it just helped us both kind of figure out where we were separately before we could come back together again and try at marriage again. Well, that's amazing. I mean that he's 13 years sober, that's not everybody's story. And Um, I have some experience in my family with addiction. And so, you know, that's sort of why I was drawn to, to hearing about that. Um, is, is his faith part of that? Or is your faith as a, as a family part of how you've overcome some of these things? Yeah, I think so. I, we were both raised Catholic. We went to the same Catholic church as kids. And um, I think what happened through that experience is we found a deeper spirituality individually, uh, outside of kind of the bigger uh, religion, I think. And so he is really a deeply spiritual person. And I think I'm growing there. Um, So I think so. It was interesting. We'd never really prayed together until after that experience, you know, and I think it really just helped us both evaluate bigger picture stuff. Yeah, it's interesting, like praying together is a pretty like intimate, like vulnerable Mm -hmm. thing to do. And if you don't do it, you're maybe not thinking about it. But even now, my husband and I, like we, we often like read the Bible together and discuss things together, but praying almost feels like another level when we're praying together. Um, It's very um, powerful, I think. So, and, and I read a statistic once and I couldn't tell you where, but it was something like couples that pray together on the regular and like have like like a nearly non-existent rate of divorce. And so that's, oh, I love that too, um, just to see how that, that power of prayer can, can make a difference in your marriage and your family. Um, so was there a moment that things sort of clicked for you or a moment where you were like, I have to make a change. And, and if so, what were the changes that you started to make in your life? So I think I really did have a moment, um, And it was a call night. I had been on call and I'd been up all night and I just felt so tired. 
And I really do call that like my surrender moment when I just decided I I can't work this hard anymore and I can't control all these things and I got to take my hands off the wheel. Um, But if I'm being honest, the change that came after that was years long. So I think I didn't suddenly say, okay, I'm going to do these things, write them down on a list and then tick through those, right? Because I had tried that method before that wasn't really working. So it's been interesting writing the book because I think it's allowed me to sort of really retro, just reflect, you know, kind of look back and see those changes. But I do think we started making decisions together about, well, what, what would we like our life to look like? And part of that was going to church together more and the praying together more, um, Also, what hasn't been working for us? I think that's how I decided to work three days a week when I came out of residency. That was a tough thing to to put down as a a necessary when I was interviewing at different jobs because that's not the norm for people when they come out of residency. It's like, well, you work hard for 10 years, 15 years, and then maybe you slow down. But that was kind of a non-negotiable for me. And then a few years after that, when he finished residency, he's a physician also, um, we moved to Utah and I really think that's when we started deciding what fits and what doesn't in our lives. Um, And so it was just a really slow process. I think we're always changing and figuring out what's working and what's not. Um, But a lot of it has been less. It's been the Choosing the ordinary stuff, the to be present here and saying no to things. Mm-hmm. That that is really hard, especially in this culture, and especially like you're saying, like I'm sure there was so much pressure, um, you know, having gone through medical school, and you're not, you're definitely not the norm, and mm-hmm. you know, people might think it was it was weird that you did something like that, um, but it kind of reminds me of just like the fact that as Christians, like we're not necessarily going to live like the rest of the world, and Um, and I think that's, that's so great to make those intentional decisions. What are some other, maybe like intentional choices that you make as a family to slow down or be ordinary? It's hard because we have five kids and our our kids are older now. So our oldest is almost 17 and then we've got 14 and 11. And so there are a lot of activities and just things. And so I think if you looked at our calendar, you'd be like, well, that seems pretty busy. But yeah, we have made some conscious decisions. Like our kids, for the most part, have one activity that they're involved in. And it's pretty, it's a pretty busy activity for all of them, but they don't play all the sports. They don't do music and dance and all the things. So we've sort of limited how much activity we put ourselves in. And it's been great because my husband coaches basketball. So when they do go to basketball, they go together. He goes along with them and it still kind of feels like family time. So that's been kind of the main thing. And then I think just deciding that what we have is enough. So, you know, our house, for example, when we moved here, we were approved for a, a really big number, I thought. And we've sort of chosen a much smaller home and to just be happy here that we don't always have to be looking for like the next bigger, better thing down the line. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really true. I, I, 
was thinking about that the other day, actually, um, in terms of homes and, you know, where I live, there are some pretty amazing neighborhoods nearby. (laughs) And I really don't even, I I don't think about it too much, but I also don't let myself like sort of go down those roads and and look at those homes and things because, you know, in reality, like we could probably get a loan to buy a home like that. But also then we would probably be living beyond our means and we would be struggling and stretching. And I have this perfectly great house that we live in now. And it's one of the ways that I'm trying to um, sort of live, uh, you know, contentedly and not in want. And I think that's part of the whole concept of what you're saying is sort of being content in where you are. Um, so obviously writing a book, you want to share some of this stuff with other people. You want to offer people something. What do you want to offer them or what message are you telling them in your book? Well, I hope the message is that number one, you're not alone. And number two, you're not doing it wrong. I think I sort of had this um, feeling like everyone else seems to be getting it and I'm just not. There must be something wrong with me. And so I spent a lot of time trying to outperform that, I think, and, you know, appear a little more together than I am, I think, on the inside. And so I just want people to know, like, you're not doing it wrong. You're just living a life and life is messy and it's hard and it's mostly ordinary. And so I'm hoping that people come away with um, sort of the attitude of just looking around and just figuring out like, oh, I have some really great relationships. I have a really beautiful home. I have the things that I need. And my life is pretty regular. And isn't that awesome? Right? Yeah. One of the phrases that I've used in the past is the uh, the luxury of the mundane. Because, um, yeah. So, you know, just a little backstory is just I got that from my husband who he has had this really, really tough, traumatic life and background. And so when we talked about it and I wrote about it, you know, he said something to that effect, like, yeah, I'm blessed right now that my life is boring. And I was like the luxury of the ordinary to have an ordinary life, to not have trauma, to not have, you know, bad things going on. Like that is a blessing and a luxury that a lot of people don't have. And so it can be hard to recognize it when you're in the middle of it. But I think kind of bringing that up and, and reminding people like, Hey, not everybody's living in Norton. Some people are praying for an ordinary life. And so yes. it's just I, so important. I included some stories of medicine, just practicing medicine. And I think I was so unaware of that. I was so just, um, internally focused, I think, when I went into medical school. And then suddenly you're with all these people who are really sick and dying and who are in the middle of their trauma. And I think I was so aware that when you're in the middle of chaos and trauma and pain, you're not really worried about perfection anymore. You just want a regular, ordinary day. Like you'd give anything to just get up and make breakfast for your kids and send them off to school. And so I include a few of those stories because it really opened my eyes. I think to that, I had one patient in particular that I get to tell her story. I asked her husband if I could share her real name and share her real story. And I, I think of her often. So when I'm getting to do regular mom stuff, I'm remembering that she never had that chance. And so I think it really does bring a different perspective to ordinary health is such 
a big one. I, that's something that, you know, every day at our dinner table, we try to do like, what are you thankful for? You know? And mm-hmm. I try to remember every day to say, thank you, God, for our health and that my children are healthy specifically, because I, you know, I see the pain that parents go through just from social media. You know, these things pop up all the time about like a fundraiser or, you know, people that you just sort of pop up into your feed and their kids are going through things. And, and every day that's a, that's a something I'm thankful for. And, you know, and I pray that were that not to be the case that God would give me the strength to, to deal with that. But, um, but remembering that I think is a, is a really good part of that. Okay. So you've been a mom for 17 years and you have five kids. Mm -hmm. So I have to ask you, like, do you have any advice you can share? Like anything over the many years that, you know, you would pass down to a newer mom? Oh gosh, that's a good one. I, uh, I'm still figuring it, figuring it out as I go. I think that's the hardest thing about motherhood is just once you sort of think you've mastered something, then something new comes along or, um, the next kid comes along. I think that was a big one. My first three boys, I have four boys and then a little girl. I think my first three boys really kind of fell in line, right? Like they were pretty easy to potty train. They were pretty good sleepers. And I just thought, Oh, I'm nailing it. You know, like I'm, (laughs) I'm figuring this out. And then Number four came along and he just kind of marches to his own little beat. You know, he's not really interested in my systems and, you know, my timelines. And so I think that's the big thing is each of your kids is different and each of them is so special in their own way. So I've had to just look at, well, gosh, he's really amazing at some other things that I, I never even thought to look at. I think he's my joyful kid. He's sort of my lackadaisical, like happy, joyful kid. And he could care less about any of the stuff he's supposed to be doing that the world says he's supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And it's probably the best quality about him. I just adore that about him. So they're all different. And, and really, you'll be equipped for each one of those as it comes along. So yeah. I think yeah, that's I was just saying yesterday and, and something else I was doing, I was like, you know, to moms, I'm speaking to moms tomorrow, actually. So I was practicing my speech. And so I was saying, you know, God chose you to be the mom of this kid. And so sometimes I know it feels impossible, but you can know a hundred percent that he's equipped you to be the mom to this kid. And it feels so hard and it doesn't always feel like you're doing it right. But it's like, if you're thinking about it and you're putting the effort in, down the road, that's when you're going to sort of see it, but it's hard when you're in the thick of it to, to feel that way. Sure. And I think it's important to remember it never really ends. I think I feel that every once in a while now that I have, I'll have a senior next year. And I just think uh, there's so much that I should have done better or that you need to know, or that you need to be prepared for, but there's no end to being their mom. And I think we get that message all the time, like, enjoy it. It goes so fast and soak it in. And we do, but there's always like another beautiful stage that comes because it's been lovely to watch him become an older teenager and really just grow into who he is. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of beauty in every stage. You don't have to grab on to where you're at all the time because you'll miss it. Sure. I think I'll always miss things about having little, little kids, but 
there's a lot of beauty in the next stage too. And that motherhood, that relationship goes on forever. Yeah, no, that's, that's such a good reminder. I think about that all the time, having littler kids, well, mine are three and six, but, um, but yeah, you do think about that. And I look at my daughter and I, I, I'm like, please, please don't get any bigger. Like, oh, (laughs) a precious, I mean, she's, she's hard. She's hard, but she's so adorable. And right now, and, um, and, you know, you hear it all the time, like people already being sad about their kids that like are still little. Um, but you're right. And I think that's a great reminder that like parenting doesn't end. I mean, I'm still calling my mom every time I get a headache, you know, I'm calling my mom anytime anything's wrong. I'm I'm calling my mom because she's my comfort Mm -hmm. and I will be doing that until forever. And so we have that special place and it never ends. And I think that's a great reminder. Well, Michaela, I also like to ask people what they've been reading, what recommendations they have, whether it's a book or a podcast or TV show, do you have anything you can recommend to people? Oh gosh, I'm always reading. I love books so much. Um, My latest author crush, my person who I just think is so amazing is Kate Bowler. She has a new book out. It's maybe several months old though. I think it came out in the fall, Um, but she also has a really great podcast. So she just, I think so easily navigates the tough stuff in life. And she has a devotional coming out that's called Good Enough. I think. And I'm like, Oh, I wish I could talk to you about that because I just think we're on the same (laughs) wavelength. So her stuff is great. And her podcast is just a must listen to. Well, you should pitch yourself to be on her podcast. You never know. I I certainly am, but that would be (laughs) just something else. So (laughs) I know, right. I I have my eye on some big ones myself, but we'll see. You never know. God can make it happen. You never know. All right, Michaela. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was so great to hear. So when does the book come out? The book comes out March 8th. Okay. So really soon. Okay. We'll get this episode out around that time. Um, And where can people find you? They can find me on Facebook and Instagram, both under Ordinary on Purpose. And then my blog is OrdinaryOnPurpose.com. Okay. Thanks everyone. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.